replace the term sugar with heroin. Is it okay if I shoot heroin because it's my birthday this weekend? Sugar is a harder drug than the hard drugs. That is the reason why 95 to 99% of diets fail because they don't understand what they're dealing with is an addiction. It's not about counting calories and just spending more calories than they ingest. No, it's about... Before we start this episode, I just want to say a big thank you for everything that we have achieved together. You see, two months ago, 75% of viewers had not subscribed, and now it's down to 71%. And our goal is 50%. So if you've ever liked any of the videos I post on this channel, please hit that subscribe button. Because as you've seen, the bigger the channel grows, the better the guests I can get for you. Okay, let's just get into the episode. Sarah, welcome. Hi, Rena. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for our chat today. Well, I came across a very interesting stat that 6 billion people are addicted to sugar, and that is eight times more than drug addiction. And I think it's because big corporations, they make these food-like products to keep us addicted. And I know you and I, we are sugar addict pros, but we have cured our sugar addiction. So today I want to talk about the 10 best tips that you and I can share with everybody watching for everyone to finally cure their sugar addiction. But the first thing that I wanted to talk to you today about was why do you think people are so addicted still to sugar, even though they know better? I think everybody has heard about the cocaine studies and how sugar is six to eight times more addictive than cocaine. And somehow everybody just keeps shoving sugar down their throats, no problem. I don't think people realize it's actually also far more addictive than heroin by a large margin. So that's a hard drug. Sugar is a harder drug than the hard drugs. Number So that's number one. In and of itself, its potential for addiction is far more powerful than any other hard drug you can think of. The food companies, which is a trillion dollar business industry, relies on this drug to keep them afloat, right? I mean, if you take away their drug, that's it. They're, they no longer have these profit margins, right? Not only is this industry benefiting, the hospital system is benefiting from that with the surgeries, right? And then the insurance companies are benefiting from that. And then the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is in bed with the food industry. They're one and the same. The same people who are heading the academy are literally on the boards and like advising those food industry, food companies. You go to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics conference every year. It's like a showcase for the food industry and it's got sugar everywhere. That is the reason why 95 to 99% of diets fail because they don't understand what they're dealing with is an addiction. It's not about counting calories and just spending more calories than they ingest. No, it's about getting abstinent and this remaining sober. And because of that, because they they don't understand what they're dealing with, people just yo-yo all their lives, you know, lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. It's just this casual relationship to a very hard drug and just having it as a cheat meal or leaving it, but in smaller amounts, you know, in your diet. And this is is why we end up in the place that we're in right now. And even you being a doctor she's a doctor guys and she was addicted to sugar for how long all my life 
I mean, I was given instead of breast milk, I was given condensed milk for a whole month. <laughs> what? Yes. Why? Yes, because um, so I grew up in Lebanon, right? And uh, my dad had a business in Kuwait right before there was some war. I think some like the Iraqis, I think, invaded Kuwait and then we had to leave Kuwait. But um, we were visiting family in Lebanon and I was four months old and uh, my parents had to go back to Kuwait for the business. But something happened with the paperwork. They couldn't take me. So they left me with my grandma. <laughs> so for like a whole month, I like I stopped taking the the formula. And, you know, my grandma's like, how am I going to feed this little infant? And so they were like, "Ooh, condensed milk works. <laughs> and then, then until my mom found out it was the damage was done all my life. I mean, I remember it's always been having a huge sweet tooth. Um, I did my dissertation at the University of Miami. <laughs> on sugar addiction and chocolate addiction, even though I dove deep into the research, I knew the addiction literature like the back of my hand, and I still was in denial. I still was doing the keto treats and desserts and the Atkins bars. It's like, wow, if somebody like me can be in denial and act this nonchalantly towards those foods... What chance do other people have? So going now into those 10 tips that are going to save us. So if you struggle with sugar addiction, if you're keto, if you're carnivore, you know, there's some hidden things that still are sugar. There is sweetened drinks. There is Diet Coke. There is flavored electrolytes, all these things. They are technically sugar. What is the first tip that you would give people to break their sugar addiction? abstinence, obviously, right? You know, we can't have a little bit of stevia here and there. Remember, the studies that showed that sugar is more addictive than heroin, they actually used saccharin, right? It's the sweet taste. It's once we feel the sweetness on our taste buds, that's what lights up the dopamine centers in the brain and you start kickstarting that addiction cycle. The number one thing, you have to have a zero tolerance policy. It's gotta be abstinence. Every time you're trying to think about if this is okay or if this is not okay, this is what I tell my clients all the time. Replace the term sugar with heroin. Is it okay if I shoot heroin because it's my birthday this weekend and then I'll start on Monday? Like I, I've had a client that I just had just onboarded. We, we did everything and was like, okay, I sent, uh, and I told them like, I'm going to send you the, the meal plan and we'll start right on that date. And, and he was like, well, it's my birthday this Saturday. I just had to reframe that for him. You know, the truth is it's far more addictive than heroin, you know? And by the way, those studies that looked at the sweet taste and how it's far more addictive than heroin, we actually have even more addictive foods around us, like cakes and cookies. It's not just isolated sweetness. It's sweet taste and high fats. When you combine fat and sweetness, the, ex the the addiction potential shoots up exponentially. Like once we start having those studies also being published, it, this is why I think it is criminal that the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is completely ignoring the literature on food addiction and sugar addiction. And that's, again, because they are supported by the food industry, right? They're like a front almost for them. <laughs> so if abstinence is number one, what is it? thing that can help people stay off the sugar because you take something out what are you going to mm. put in 
Mm, I love that question. And that's what I work a lot with my clients on, right? It's having them understand what is addiction. Addiction is a deficit in dopamine. You normally don't feel the addiction because you're constantly eating sugar. You're constantly getting that hit. You're constantly releasing the dopamine. They're activating whatever D2 receptors you have left. You take the sugar out, you take the addictive foods out. Now, all of a sudden, you don't have enough D2 receptors and you don't have enough dopamine coming in. You feel this low dopamine state. And so it's a so addiction is a dopamine deficit state. If you want faster fat loss results, we have lots of courses, live classes, and free resources to help you, including the seven-day fasting course for fat loss that will teach you the four fasting techniques to get you into ketosis and start burning fat no matter what diet you are following. And if you're carnivore, you might like the ultimate four-week fat loss course, which will teach you the right amount of protein and fat to drop the pounds fast on a carnivore diet. Simply click the link in the description or the pinned comment to get 20% off automatically, or just head to academy.5minutebody.com and use the code YT20. When I work with clients, I make sure they understand this notion like the back of their hands. And it's all about learning how to control and leverage dopamine and optimize dopamine to target the root cause of addiction. And the my preferred method, there are other ways to increase uh, D2 receptors and dopamine levels. My preferred method, given that my doctorate was in exercise physiology as well. So I, I have a soft spot for exercise, but it's not just because of that. It's I think it is the most effective, most efficient way to restore this dopamine in your brain. And that is with exercise that is intense and that is progressively getting more intense strength training can do that cardio can do that i think cardio is probably more powerful you're pumping out dopamine while you're working out but at the same time after the end of the workout now your brain rewires itself to even at baseline have higher levels of dopamine and d2 receptors and what i have my clients do like i have them visualize how intense is their training and i have them visualize the number of d2 receptors they have in their brain as we increase our fitness level as it goes up week after week this tracks closely this is equal to the amount of dopamine dopamine receptors you have in your brain so you want it higher, you train heavier, you train more intensely. And so you are in complete control of how much dopamine you have in your brain. And I think that is the single most empowering thing that people can learn and use. And it's the easiest thing as well. Doing exercise, right. going out for a walk, going sprinting, doing different things. I know that many people here, they are carnival. Maybe you're keto or keto trying to be carnival. What do you think about the types of foods, especially when that sugar craving comes and you're like, oh, I need to have sugar. What should we be eating? What is that perfect meal for people to eat to kill those sugar cravings? The beautiful thing about a carnivore diet, it is, is, is that it is the only diet that has zero addiction potential. As long as you're doing it in a clean way, like without the dairy, right? And the butter and stuff like that, because those things can be addictive. It's so easy to get abstinent on a carnivore diet because you're not activating any addictive pathways at all in your brain. You have zero cravings on it, but just make sure that you could still kind of go into the more addictive part of foods, like with chicken skins or pork rinds or things like that. Anything that is 
not a normal food that we would have eaten in the wild. We never would have eaten the skin by itself. It would have been the whole chicken, right? With the protein. So it would have been the fat and the protein, right? Um, we never would have just done like pork rinds, just pork skin. We would have eaten the whole thing. So focusing on single ingredient natural foods, like a piece of salmon, a piece of ribeye, uh, the, the most processing could be like a ground beef that would have been, that would be fine. So kind of processed, right? But still, you know, it's got no addictive potential there. Things like that is, is what I would recommend. So you mentioned dairy and butter, me being a former butter addict, former, cause I'm trying to cut it out. Why is dairy and even butter, even though it has low amounts of lactose, why is that so addictive? Yeah, well, it's not the sugar in the dairy that makes it addictive. It could be if you're doing milk or cottage cheese, but it's that's not really the main thing. It's really about in cheese, you've got the casein. It's a type of protein that is pre the predominant type of protein found in cheese. The moment you ingest it, it turns into a molecule called casomorphin. From its name, it resembles morphine or heroin. It activates the opioid receptors in your brain. I have people who will take out the carbs, but they can't take out the cheese. It's like they struggle more with the cheese. And that's be probably because their opioid receptor system and their brain is the one that's lacking. And so they need that stimulation, anything that activates the opioids. If your goal is to be abstinent, then you want to completely remove any potential trigger for a craving, any potential trigger for that addictive pathway in the brain. And so even things like dairy can keep that addiction going, right? And you start having those binges on cheese and having an extra 1,000, 2,000 calories in that day just from cheese. And that messes with your mood. It leads to inflammation, all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's harder to drop body fat if you're keeping the dairy in. Butter, anything that is a calorie dense food like butter. I mean, a stick of butter is 800 calories, right? Any kind of calorie dense food is highly addictive because we are primed to look for calories in the wild. Anytime we would find any form of dense calorie source where our brains are going to go wild with that, right? And the food industry knows that, which is why they try to jam pack as much fat as they can in any food before it's you start to notice it right that they know that raises the addictive potential i've actually just about to uh post a youtube video with the title butter is bad to explain really it. yes it's like all the butter munching that everybody's doing you know i have to like i just wanted to be a standalone video as opposed to a lot of interviews that I post. I just wanted to explain to people why that's not doing us a lot of good, you know, raises inflammation. People, I mean, there are certain exceptions that I mentioned in the video when it might be helpful, like in people who have joint pain or things like that. But for the most part, um, it, it raises inflammation and it makes it very hard to drop body fat. And if you're not dropping body fat, remember your fat cells, they don't just sit there as a reservoir storing extra calories. No, it's an active endocrine organ that's constantly secreting inflammatory molecules into your body, which means also it's reaching your brain. And so if you want to have a healthy, non-addicted brain, raising inflammation is not going to get you there. It's not going to improve, right? It's only going to take away from your dopamine activity. Does butter increase cravings and sugar addiction or does it decrease it? If you're, if you're doing sticks of butter, it's going to increase it, not decrease it. Okay. That's so fascinating because yes. 
Um, I've interviewed Dr. Elizabeth Bright, and I'm sure that many people watching have seen that interview, as well as many other interviews that Dr. Bright has done. And she talks about a stick of butter, 80-20 yeah. carnival. No. no okay. Definitely. Trust me. All the clients that I work with have tried that. Every, like everybody that comes to me, they're like, I did the carnivore, all you can eat, all the butter. And I gained 40 pounds in two months. It's like, how did you gain 40 pounds in two months? How can that happen? You know, it takes a lot to peel that off. You know, it, it, it affects your skin, um, that your skin integrity, you start having stretch marks and stuff like that. No, I would not recommend it. Another situation in which, I, so I mentioned, if you have joint pain, you know, I do have clients that literally cannot work out when they first start working with me, then, okay, they, there has to be some some way for them to, to break their sugar addiction. And so it's okay to have some butter. However, the moment they start improving, we rephase that out and we start training and we start using exercise. People who have a lot of weight to lose, like if you have 100, 150 pounds to lose, then the 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 butter addictive potential is so minimal compared to any form of carbohydrate and so in that case that can be helpful and this is why you hear the success stories right but those are people generally who have a lot of weight to lose you know or people who don't have a lot of weight to lose but they have certain let's say asian genetics which have a very hard time storing subcutaneous fat they can eat all the butter it's not making them gain weight it can help kind of offset the sugar addiction because it's still giving them some addictive hit but now they're getting it from the butter as opposed to getting it from the sugars and the carbs and so in that case that's okay it's not the end of the world you're not gaining subcutaneous fat as i still think i don't think it's optimal i still will go with exercise but there are certain situations in which you can see some success stories on that i would love to know for people watching are you doing 80-20 carnivore and the sticks of butter and what success have you had or is it a problem and are you putting on weight? Because I think we're hearing this a lot. People are trying these sticks of butter more and more and they're getting varying results. Some people find it helpful. Some people don't, but I'd love to hear from anyone out there. Comment down below. Um, but what about another thing for sugar addiction, which is ozempic, taking drugs? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying to do it. I'm trying to get Sarah's advice on it. Um, what do you think about these drugs that, you know, promise lower sugar cravings. It's an anti-diabetic drug, right? So if it's an anti-diabetic drug, wouldn't it be smarter to just cut out the carbs? Because you know, what's another anti-diabetic drug going on a zero carb diet can reverse diabetes. It, it makes zero sense when you have a natural approach, number one. Number two, it slows down the rate of the transit time of the food, right? So it slows down the uh, movement of your food in your gut. You know what that means? That means increased risk of heartburn, silent reflux. People wouldn't even know they have reflux until it, it has progressed. This is a very new application for this drug. We don't have long-term safety data on this, right? Not to mention that half of the weight that you're losing is really muscle mass. It's very hard to put on muscle or maintain muscle mass when you're taking this drug. Even if you're shrinking, your body composition is changing. So you're becoming flabbier and flabbier and flabbier over time. That is something you're interested in. Go ahead, take it. I don't think it is uh, a smart idea in any way, shape or form, because by the way, the addiction is still there. You're not abstinent, right? You might lower the intensity of addiction because you physically cannot eat 
all of this stuff, but you might transfer that addiction. It's called addiction interaction disorder or aid. You transfer the addiction from one way to another, which is like what you see in gastric bypass patients, right? They staple their stomach. They physically cannot hit, get that dopamine hit from the food. And now you have a, what is the rate? It's something crazy. Like the percent increase in rates of alcoholism within the next three years goes up tremendously. They become alcoholics because, <laughs> you know, they can, they, they, they've transferred their addiction from one thing to another. Treat the root cause. So what, what is a perfect meal, a first meal that somebody should eat to start their, their day so that they don't get these sugar cravings? Again, go back to a carnivore food, right? You can do eggs and bacon. I love eggs and bacon for my breakfast. Um, especially initially, try not to force yourself to fast. If you come from a severe sugar addiction background, which most of us have come from, it's not a good idea to stress yourself and uh, force yourself to fast. Give yourself the permission to have breakfast. Eventually, after you break that addiction, after 30 to 90 days, you will naturally not want to eat. You will naturally be stuffed. You're like, I'd rather not have breakfast. And then it wouldn't be a problem as long as you're also training hard to restore that dopamine and D2 receptor level, you know, like that should be happening in conjunction with your changed diet. So that now by the end of the 30 to 90 days, your dopamine levels have gone pretty high back up again, maybe not to normal just yet, but pretty high up again, you're not as much in a vulnerable state, you know, and at the same time, um, you've detoxed the physiological effects of sugar. So now we can go back to fasting, but not in the first few weeks. I would totally agree. Absolutely. Fasting is something again, it's deprivation. So it's going to increase the addictive component of your personality. And you're going to be searching for something let me just eat something, go for the butter, go for the something just to fill the void. So eat the, you know, eggs and bacon, eat the fatty meat, eat anything that you need to actually feel satiated. So thank you for saying that because I did that mistake. Um, what is the next tip for us to beat our sugar addiction? Cortisol can increase urges or temptations. And that's because cortisol, whenever it goes up, dopamine goes down. You never have them both in the same level. It's either dopamine is elevated, cortisol is down, or vice versa. Cortisol is up, dopamine is down. Actually, another name for dopamine is called the anti-stress molecule. This is why when you have high levels of dopamine, you feel like you're bulletproof. It doesn't matter how stressful your day is you're breezing through it because it's buffering the cortisol because it's that you have a lot of that anti-stress molecule a lot of dopamine right and that's another thing why exercise is so powerful the more you raise your baseline level of dopamine and d2 receptors the more you have that anti-stress molecule the more stress resilient you are the more you can put on your plate and just breeze through it it also improves your sleep right because not getting enough sleep can also um, affect our cravings it messes with our dopaminergic system. I highly recommend people check out Andrew Huberman. He's a Stanford neuroscientist, Dr. Huberman. He's great. He's got a fantastic YouTube channel and talks a lot about dopamine and how to control it and leverages, leverage it. And he always mentions, right, like from 10 p.m. at night to 4 a.m. in the morning, if you get any light, like blue light, if you're not fully asleep, it's going to mess with your dopamine levels the next day. It's going to bring them down. And now you're more at risk for addictions. And that was the next tip, which is how the lack of sleep keeps you addicted to sugar. Yes. Yes. Crazy. It is. It is absolutely insane. I, uh, 
I remember teaching this to my students every semester. I teach a nutrition course at Miami Dade College. And we talk a lot about the sleep deprivation, how it literally increases um, ghrelin levels, hunger hormones uh, by by 30 percent. Um, and it drops leptin levels or the satiety hormone by 30 percent as well. And it but not just with the physiological hunger, you see this increase in 30 percent, but you also see a 45 percent increase in cravings for addictive foods. Forty five percent. That's that's all dopamine dopamine deficits. That's crazy. How, how would you get somebody to sleep better? What is your tips for better sleep? Because it's easier said than done for, for some people. Right. Um, again, <laughs> exercise, intense exercise. That's progressively getting more intense as we move on from week to week and no caffeine. I think those are like the number two, the, the, the first two things like that most people, if they just do that, you've got 90% of insomnia cases that just go away. You know, I also use like the blue blocking glasses at night, uh, that bond charge to company that they sent me their products. And then since then I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I just watch it. I just use it every night. So no caffeine, no coffee at all. Zero caffeine. Okay. Well, I don't have problems with um, sleeping, so that's fine. Um, I can just imagine like people just thinking, oh my God, no, that's fine. I, I won't sleep. But no, it's true. Even a coffee in the, mo- the morning, first thing in the morning can affect your sleep. For some people, yes. For okay. some people, absolutely. It depends wow. on your level of sensitivity. So different people metabolize caffeine at different rates. For some people, they're very slow metabolizers. Others are very fast metabolizers. I'm a very slow metabolizer. So it stays in my system for a very long period of time. Yeah. But here's the thing. As you start increasing your intensity and training, you will literally spring out of bed in the morning. Like the last thing you feel you need is a hit of caffeine because you now are already energetic because your muscles are stronger. And more importantly, your dopamine set point has been reset to a higher level. You know, it's like you wake up and you feel like you've just taken a hit of cocaine. <laughs> you know, you'll spring out of it. The cool thing is there's no crash. And that's the beauty of doing this the right way. Absolutely. Was there any other tips for people to break sugar addiction? So we mm-hmm. talked about the fasting or the timing of the food. Um, yeah. What about, yeah, that, timing timing of foods and yeah. when to eat. I think that's important for people to understand because people are confused around OMADs, two mads, three meals a day. I don't think it matters much. I think people start to have too many questions about timing of meals the more they introduce addictive substances. When you start introducing honey and fruit and cheese, all of a sudden you start having all these questions because I know with my clients that I get them to go very clear, clean, pure carnivore, like just ribeyes or just meats, no cheese, none of that stuff. They will naturally just tell me, I am just not hungry. I'll have one steak a day and I'm good. And that's it. You know, just eat when you're hungry, pretty much. And if you start noticing you're having a lot of those questions, like, should I eat this at this time or that time? I can almost guarantee you, you're including some addictive foods in there. You're uh, starting to increase your fruit consumption, sweet potato, honey, or you're adding cheese or things like that. Or butter. Or butter. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sad. Um, how long does it take for people to break sugar addiction? Like what's the average, what's the earliest? Mm-hmm. When can pe- people expect that I'm feeling great 
till the average? Like what is the time frame? I think you can start feeling fantastic by 21 days to 30 days. So in the first, uh, the, the first, um, the first three weeks are the hardest. Once you're through that, you really have a clearing of your mind. And, uh, and I'm talking by the way about those are the people who can do the abstinence without training. If you start training the way I work with my clients and, you know, cardio and strength training and progressively increasing that intensity, it happens a lot sooner because you're repairing the D2 receptors a lot faster as opposed to waiting just for the time to take its course. So generally, um, without training, it can take three weeks to a month for you to really start feeling a major shift. And then 90 day mark is another major milestone. Most people who can do 90 days of zero carb, zero addiction, they will even if they go off the wagon for a while, they'll never forget it. They'll always come back and then eventually they'll stick with it. You know, remember, it takes an average of five tries for people to get sober from any drugs. So if you look at the literature on a drug addiction, it takes an average of five sobriety efforts before it sticks. So yeah, don't give in or just don't give up if by the third try you're you went back and you ate sugar it's okay well i had 20 years of going back to eating sugar so that's a long time there you go yeah so sarah how can people find you so it's very easy to find me my name i think you should be able to see it on the screen dr sarah with an h zaldivar um so that's my youtube channel just my name and then my instagram is at dr.sarah.zaldivar so my name with just dots in between and then uh, my uh email is drsarahzaldivar at gmail.com if you're interested in coaching my website www.drsarahzaldivar.com wonderful well thank you sarah and i'm sure that we're going to see you very soon Thank you so much, Rena.